This is Annie Fox for Family Confidential, Secrets of Successful Parenting. Today my guest is youth motivational speaker David McQueen. You don't need me to tell you the road gets plenty rough during the teen years, for them and for us. 21st century parents frequently miss opportunities to take the lead and maintain meaningful connections with their tweens and teens. Of course, it's not all our fault. Teens don't encourage dialogue, at least not with us. But we can only change ourselves, and we need to do a better job when it comes to really listening and trying to understand what's going on with the young people we love most in the world, because the lessons of intimacy we teach at home help our kids grow into adults with the confidence to discover who they ought to be. When we miss those opportunities to connect, it's not because we don't care. It's just that all of us, the kids too, are too busy to check in with each other. Sometimes reminders are needed. Today's show talking with your kids so they'll listen and open up. My guest today is David McQueen, and he's here to provide some reminders. David is an educator, international speaker, and blogger extraordinaire. He empowers adults and youth alike on subjects such as leadership, careers, and communication skills. Dave is also the founder of the Dave Mack Project, a teen empowerment movement that combines speaking, live events, social media, and youth coaching for teens and those who work with teens. For the last 22 years, Dave McQueen has reached over 1 million teenagers through live speaking and workshops, on TV and online, with his messages of empowerment about inhabiting the present and creating a brilliant future. Welcome to Family Confidential, Dave. Thank you, Annie, and nice to be here. Oh, my, my privilege, actually. I am very excited to be talking to you about your work, and especially your work with youth around violence, and it's become something that I would have to say is pandemic around the world. We, we talk about bullying, we talk about a culture of cruelty, and when I came across your blog post, I thought, okay, well, I certainly knew it wasn't just in the States, but let's start off with your 22 years of involvement in youth work and empowerment, and if, while you're answering that question, you can tell me what you've seen in terms of changes in this area over the last two decades. Okay. Um, well, I started off working with young people when I was 18, and it was off the back of an incident. There was a, um, well, there were two. There was a, a positive one and a negative one. And, um, and what I realized from both of those, by just listening to the young people who were involved in those situations, I was able to empower them. So I started off as a mentor. And um, Wait, wait, you're not even going to tell me what the incidents were? Oh, wow. Okay, sorry. Let me go to the incidents. Okay. <laughs> Tell me a story. <laughs> okay, no, sorry. Oh, my goodness. Um, okay, well, the negative one was that I had a rather aggressive young man threaten to take my life, who I knew of, and who I, at the time, was mentoring. And what I was able to do, I was able to calm him down in the situation and talk him out of the situation. Wow. Basically became a mentor and a friend to him as well. And what I realized that even though he was under the influence at the time, 
of an illegal substance by just being able to somehow find a way through to his mind and help him to recognize that not everybody was against him, but some people were on his side. Uh, I was able to flip things around. Weren't you very frightened at the time? Were you frightened for your life? I was. I, I, I'm a Christian, but I think I was praying to every deity. I think I was praying to Buddha, Krishna, Allah. Anybody would hear me at that point in time. Although I was afraid, I think the, the survival instinct kicks in, doesn't it? And I think we are in the position where we want to protect people. And I think the bigger picture was for me, how can I protect both of us? Obviously not to get him in trouble and obviously to keep me from being harmed. Mm -hmm. And I think my gut reaction was there. What can I really do to really help this young man see that there is another way from you know, what's actually happening in his life now. How did you approach this situation knowing that you were fearful for your own safety and yet had this bigger picture view that maybe I can protect us both? Can you recall what a piece of what you might have said to him that, that actually made him stop and calm down? Because this sounds fascinating to me. <laughs> when I looked at him, although there was a, an aggression in his body language per se, there was a look of sadness in his eyes and that's what caught me. And I realized that I was 18 at the time, he was 14. And I realized this is a young man who's actually just crying out for help oh. and he just doesn't know what's actually going to happen. And it might sound really odd, but I thought at that point in time, what have I got to lose by, you know, by not saying to him, what can we do? This is Dave, this is me, this is the guy who's been working with you. This is the guy who's going to go out on a limb for you. And just basically get him to understand that it's not, the world is not black and white. There are different shades. You know, it's nice. There's color out there and there are opportunities that can be taken. I mean, you know, as I say, reflecting back on it, yes, I, I think internally I was frightened, but I, I think my survival instinct wanted just to say to him that I want to support you. And so by supporting you, I'm just going to have the conversation and then we take it from there. Well, it's funny because you introduce this as the negative incident, but this sounds yes. quite positive to me. Yeah, when I say negative, I meant that when I first started out, I was originally asked to work with a lot of gifted students. Mm -hmm. um, so students who were quite academically bright or who had a good sense of youth leadership, as I call it, but it wasn't channeled right. And so although, you know, I, I give you the, the negative one, it was more of a bit, that was more of extreme behavior. Mm -hmm. Whereas the others I had to deal with were some teenagers within my local church whose parents felt that they just needed to have that extra push to have that kind of sense of self-belief. And I've always been of the opinion that you can't try and force a teenager into a box. What you need to be able to do is nurture them to be able to take certain choices and so working on that premise, I was, as I say, the positive one. I was able to work with a lot of young people who were quite glad to spend a Sunday afternoon with me because obviously I'd make them laugh. We'd be very open. Uh, there were no holes barred as to what kind of conversation they could have with me as long as they respected me. Those two separate but similar incidents were what fueled me to actually being involved with young people for as long as I have been. In the blog, you talk about young people who are living in fear of violence and crime. And that culture that is, what's the air that they breathe every day is going to yeah. set off hair trigger reactions to them, to live in fear as you know, some of us who have experienced small and isolated incidents of fear know that our brains don't always work as they should be in that situation. And I I start to think about what it might be like to constantly be living in fear of violence and crime the moment you walk out the door of your home. 
and I wonder how how appealing being in a gang is to kids like that and how you can help them see that they have other options. I think it's a very interesting one because, okay, I say in the last five years, I've noticed a change, a shift in the way that a lot of teenagers do approach their whole sense of identity. And that's a combination of many things. I don't want to necessarily say that it's a portion blame, but rather I would just look at causes. So, for example, in some of the more disadvantaged areas, I've noticed that there are a lot of young people who will join gangs because it's a sense of family. It's mm-hmm. a sense of belonging. And with an increase in violence, it's also a sense of protection. Yes. So when there are individuals who are going into schools and colleges and trying to address maybe one-on-one with young people, what they sometimes forget is that there is this, it's just an element of survival. That's just the way they think they can just survive. And what actually happens is you're having this amazing conversation with young people to try and unpick that, to try and get them to understand it. What is really needed is a constant. For example, I've been asked to be a role model on many occasions for young people. And I say, well, the reality is, is that I can inspire young people, but I can't be a role model unless I'm present in their life as a constant. Mm. I can be a role model to my children or I can be a role model to those young people who I mentor because I'm a constant presence in their life. But if I go in and I do an assembly or I do a workshop for three weeks and then those young children don't see me and they get back into an environment of, you know, those same kind of fears and suspicions, they're not going to necessarily be thinking about me as a role model because all they're trying to do in that environment is survive. Mm. And, um, you know, although sometimes people won't admit it, a lot of it is quite strongly related to a drug culture. I know, especially in the inner cities that I work with, if you look at the hierarchy of a lot of the gangs and even the, the loosely shaped ones or just loosely shaped groups and not the formal gangs it's still related to a lot of illegal activity and so we've got to be able to address as i say the issues of family the issues of poverty the issues of survival and most importantly for the young people that we're dealing with that sense of identity and i'm picking with them what does it mean to be who i am Mm. what does it mean to be who i am yeah well these are really basic questions for any young person entering young adulthood. Who am I? How do I differentiate myself from my family? How do I find my place amongst my peers? Obviously, these are developmental questions that we all go through. And I think that it's quite interesting when you think about how there are gaps in the lives of certain kids, but they need to fill those gaps. So if family is not there, if positive role models in the form of adults are not there, then they will fill those gaps for better or for worse. Yes, definitely. There's an interesting thing here, though. I think if we were to actually sit down and do some kind of statistical analysis of it, I don't think that there are that many young people exactly involved in a gang. Mm. But I do think that a lot of people want to be associated with one because it gives the impression of security, protection, and belonging to something. As a teenager, you're always pushing out those boundaries to find out that move from being a kid to emerging into being an adult. And that's perfectly normal. Perfectly normal. So, you know, if there are avenues that can accentuate that rebellion, then some people are going to take it more seriously than others. But it's just there as an opening. And, and, and for me, I just, as I say, there's a three-way conversation between the young person themselves, the parents, and then any other significant other adults, whether it be an educator or somebody in the community, that can help to shape the life of that young person. Okay, well, that's good. I'm really glad that you've mentioned parents because 
This show is called Family Confidential, Secrets of Successful Parenting. And the parent aspect, I find, is is a challenging one when your children get to be teenagers because as we talk about that natural rebellion, the push is away from home toward peer group for every teen, and that is normal and natural. And yet what I hear you saying is that you, as charismatic as you are, can't come into a school and expect to magically wave a wand and have everybody see the light there in the student assembly. Instead, the parents need to step up and provide something that's different than what they provided when their children were young, but something that's going to see them through into adulthood so that they will continue to make good choices and become good citizens. So how do you talk to parents, Dave? Well, one of the things I without, I, without offending them, because you know, parents, parents, we feel guilty enough about the job that we're not doing well enough, and it's it's hard. I think one of the things I do, especially when I talk to parents, is I say to them, "Look, I'm going to make it quite clear. I don't have all the answers." Oh, I want my money back. <laughs> yes, I, I say. If you don't I have all the answers. Them. Forget it. <laughs> <laughs> I say to them, I don't have all the answers, but what I do have is years of experience of working with young people and their parents. And I have, through that experience, one of the things I've learned to do more than anything else is to listen. Mm-hmm. And so we go through a process where I I say to them, I'm going to challenge you. Although I don't have the answers, I'm really going to challenge you about certain things. But I'm going to do it in such a way not to criticize you, but to ask you if this is something that you do and you do it in a certain way, how can we change it if it needs changing? Or how can we share it amongst ourselves when we're actually doing this? So say, for example, uh, last, actually it was two months ago, I went to a school, a girls' school, and I was asked to speak at an event for raising aspirations for these young ladies. And I, and I said to the parents, I was on the stage and I took off my jacket and I said, can I speak from the heart? And they were like, yeah. And I just said, look, one of the things you need to understand is that first and foremost, I respect the fact that we're from different cultures. I respect the fact that we all have made different sacrifices and we have dreams, but your child cannot live your dream. They have to live their own. Mm, I bet you let that sink in. Oh, I let it. I, I, I kind of like rest. I rested on the table so they can soak. I said, I'll let you stew on that for a little while. And I said, and I know some of you are looking at me like you just want to take up a chair and throw it at me on the stage. I said, that's fine. I can dodge, you know. But the reality is, is that with all the things and all the different messages that's, you know, being thrown at them, the one thing they need right now, especially in all this turmoil, is a sense of ownership. They need a sense of identity because if children don't have it, what they will do is they'll come to some point where they will rebel. And so how do we guide that? How do we create that conversation? Because you're talking about a young person who may have challenges of confidence. They may be challenged as to what their skills and talents are for the future. And I'm, as, a, as you know, I'm very passionate about helping young people to find out what their careers are mm-hmm. and what kind of, as I say, their adventure. What's going to be their adventure for the future? Mm, I like that. And it's definitely by having that conversation. So whether it's issues of well-being and i'm talking about protection from gangs and violence sometimes it's just even having a simple conversation with parents about do you know what your child is doing when they're online or do you know what your child is doing when they're on the phone or when they've left the house and how do you create that environment where you're saying you know look there are going to be times where you're going to get it wrong but let's have that conversation now when you tell them that or remind them that their child is not supposed to be living out their own dream, the parent's dream. And you get that silence. I've certainly experienced that when I do parent education events. It's as if the parents 
feel they know what's best in all avenues and that they know what path their child ought to be on or is best suited for. And I know it comes from love. I know it comes from parents being programmed to guide and protect. But it's a challenge for parents to learn to step back without completely um, stepping out of the picture. I think that's the balance. Don't you agree? Yes, no, definitely. I always compare it to the teaching our children how to ride with the, do you call them stabilizers? We call them stabilizers. We call them training wheels. Training wheels. There you go. <laughs> See the Atlantic, Atlantic, something, something gets lost in translation. Of, no, but it's good. Stabilizers is good. I like that. It's like you need my help to balance. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, in, you know, we talk about that whole experience because I, I think that the beauty of being able to talk to parents and, you know, as with children is that the telling of the stories. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I always talk about the story of like for me, I didn't learn how to swim until I was a lot older than I was because of that fear. But having gone through that experience, I was then able to go and teach my children how to swim and teach my children how to ride a bike and how I felt really scared when they're riding down the road on their own. Mm-hmm. But then I've, I've got to be at that point that I've given them the skills, I've given them the wisdom and that there are going to be bumps and scrapes and bruises. But the fact is, is that I've taken the stabilizers off the bike. I've held it for a little while, but now they're going. I've got to trust them enough that I've taught them. And so I find through the power of the stories by not just obviously telling my story, but drawing out stories from the parents as well. You know, can you remember a time when your child was younger or something? Can you remember, like, I know my eldest now is 12 and seeing her coming, you know, into puberty and what have you. Sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, that's my little baby. I can't believe I'm let's go. You know? <laughs> Wait till the guys show up at the door. <laughs> oh, you know, people always say that to me. They say, oh, my gosh, have you know, have you got all the weaponry? I said, yeah, no, we've got. You know, we've got the round table, the mafiosi are going to come around and we're going to give an interview to the young guy who's going to be there, you know. If you let her out of the tower, that is. <laughs> exactly. But it's it's beautiful to actually share that story and just to encourage them that they're not alone. Yes. Because sometimes, you know, there are a lot of parents who, as you say, they will hold things to their chest and think, you know, I am right. And we all know that none of us have been given a booklet as to how we really raise our children. And truth be told, apparently we only get it right when we're grandparents uh, because we've obviously gone through the process once before. But definitely it's about that story. And I find the power of storytelling, when they tell their story, when we share things, when we find out that you're not alone, when there are different ways of being able to express that point of view, is such a major way of being able to shift people and get people to take ownership of as to how they work with the young people or work with their children. And to hand over some responsibility little by little to their children as their children grow. And that's so challenging for parents. I know. I mean, my kids are all grown up. And even now, you know, when when they've got a little problem and they call for advice, I will think about it and overthink about it after I've gotten off the phone with them. And I think, okay, well, maybe I should have been more helpful this way, or maybe I should call back and suggest this. It's out of love. It's a very good instinct, but you need to hold your tongue because I find from the kids and teens who email me through my website asking for advice, often what they say is, how do I get my parents to back off and trust me? Yes, yes, no, definitely. And the thing is that there's an interesting concept when we're dealing with different cultures. Say, for example, my parents are from the Caribbean, or the Caribbean, as you call it in Mm -hmm. America. I remember growing up, 
and the theme was children should be seen and not heard and you know my aunts and uncles and what have you I was very I was a very talkative child and that rule just never seemed to sit down with me and, and it got me in a lot of trouble <laughs> but there's another generation of uh, I say Caribbean and especially like in certain areas of Africa and Asia who are going through the same thing where I say to them uh, try and have a dialogue with your parents mm. And I say that to them and they look at me like I've, you know, just landed off the Starship Enterprise or something yes. like that. And I just say, you know, just have a, a little conversation. You'll actually be quite surprised because if you start talking to them and asking them questions and you obviously know your culture, but you ask it with respect. When you start that dialogue, you realize that something new has started here and you begin to challenge. And instead of just thinking, oh, my God, pardon the phrase, but my parents suck, you know, mm -hmm. oh, my God, I can't stand them. You're looking at a different way of saying, you know what? I'm actually going to have the power here a bit because I know where I'm going with these questions. I know where I'm going to go and ask them. So it's always that, you know, that real fine balancing act, which is both cultural, but the underpinning thing, as you said, is, you know, when, the, when a student does ask or when a teenager asks, you just say, well, sometimes it's about you creating that conversation, you creating a series of questions. Yes. And then taking it from there. Well, that's really interesting because what we were saying before in terms of the the gap that the gang might fill for kids, that sense of belonging, that sense of acceptance, that sense of respect that they might not be getting from their parents mm -hmm. could, in fact, be increased at home if parents were more open to those kinds of conversations that you're describing. And so the need to go and find it with what I call equally clueless peers might dissipate a little bit. And so there'd be a sense of belonging at home. And yes, of course, you need your friends who are, are your contemporaries, but not to blindly follow a group who may not share your values. Yes, definitely. Definitely. I love the way that you can get parents to be accountable to each other. And you can get teenagers to be accountable to each other as well. And obviously, my third part of the triangle is the educators or significant uh, other adults. But that accountability just says so much because sometimes you think you might be doing something right. And you'll say to somebody, look, just give me your honest opinion on this. I don't care what you say, but just give me your honest opinion. And sometimes the honest opinion could really make you think about, oh, my goodness, I may have to do this slightly differently. And there are, you know, as I say, there are parents who are forever emailing and uh, and contacting and connecting just saying well thank you for actually telling me i could ask somebody the honest opinion on this because sometimes the honesty may hurt but at least i know that by getting that honest opinion i can start to make sure that i can correct it and do things right so when you do go into schools dave and you say okay i don't have all the answers and you're there for um you know a short amount of time relatively speaking and then you go off to your next gig and the kids go on with their lives and the parents, etc. Do you ever follow up? How do you measure success in terms of what you've planted there? Well, I think that sowing that seed can sometimes, there is a longer harvest than expected. I remember on a recent incident, I went to a school and I was teaching presentation skills there to a group of students. Presentation skills as in when you go to interview for a job? Yeah. And public speaking and using it as a tool to bring bring confidence to some children who just did not want to speak in public and i remember said look you know there's no holes barred i'm opening it all out you can talk about anything you can talk about immigration you can talk about sexuality you can talk about religion you can talk about school i don't care what it is and when i mentioned immigration i saw two students look at each other we have a political party here which is uh, quite similar to uh is there an official name for david 
Duke's party apart from the clan? Is there a... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, uh, I don't think I could say that word on the air, my official name for David Duke's party. <laughs> <laughs> but they, 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 we have a comparative party here. And um, so uh, we can call I, I them. Was, we can call them the know nothings or the narrow yes, minds. <laughs> that, that's what we'll call them. Yes. Okay. So when they saw it, I was aware that there were some students in the school whose parents were quite sympathetic to an equivalent party here in the UK. So I gave them the opportunity. I heard them talking, and I came back and I said, "Well, what's your view on immigration?" And they kind of like let off this barrage of stuff. And I said, "Is that something you believe, or is it something that your parents have told you?" Mm-hmm. Feel free to talk in front of me. And, and I kind of, you know, joked, I said, look, I'm not some kind of black guy that's going to start running and, you know, doing a dance as soon as I hear something <laughs> about immigration and being really sad, just speak your mind quite clearly. And I remember at the end of the lesson, this young student came up to me and she was quite tearful. And she just said, look, um, I thank you for the opportunity of being able to do that, because whenever I wanted to express an opinion, I've always felt isolated, but you gave me an opportunity to say what it was um, without prejudice and allowed me to speak my mind without making a judgment about me. And she started to cry. And I just said, look, I said, at the end of the day, I know, obviously having the conversation with her, I know this is the kind of background that you've come from. And I'm not here to change your mind. But what I would like you to do is to take away from here, look, you think about the policies that the party will suggest. And I'm one of those people that the party will have an issue with. But do you have an issue with me? And if not, why not? And she said, well, you made me laugh. You made me feel like I was an individual and that I, you know, stood out. Ah. And and I left, I was quite choked. And I went and I spoke to the deputy head just to say, look, I want you to be alert that I had this break. We had a fantastic day. And what this is what happened with one of the students. And I just want you to be aware of it. And the teacher came back to me and he said, well, look, you know, the parents are quite strong on this political issue. So I'm quite surprised that you were able to get through. Ah. Then about three months later, just through my normal email, through my blog, I got an email from the child's parents. She just said, I just want to thank you. She said, you know, we've been thinking about this and obviously because of immigration and what we've seen in our area, we've been really, you know, upset by a lot of these things. And, you know, even my child was really jaded. But she said, I want to thank you because our child came home and challenged our way of thinking. She also was never that aspirational as to what she was going to go to. She said, but having a conversation with you now, she's talking about university and what she'd like to be able to go on and do when she's finished college. And I'm reading this email and shivers are just going down my back because you never know what could actually happen. But just from a a situation where you could have gone in and made a a judgment call about somebody, this lady who's obviously got this really strong opinion, and I'm sure I haven't necessarily changed it, but she was able to email me and just say, look, you know, this is not something that I would do normally, but I just want to say thank you. And for me, that was when the seed was sown. And I mean, that's a recent one. Trust me, I've got loads of war stories. I'm talking about children who from eight from 20 odd years back who have named their children david which i take as a a massive flattery and i you know oh my god is it because of me or you know what have you and being invited you know having worked with young people and then gone to their weddings and being Mm. the master of ceremonies or uh, a couple of students who i work with actually asked me to do the homily at the service and i mean that for me down the line is a powerful testament that you've sowed a seed, you've made an impression with these young people, and it's not just in the school, or it's not just in that group, but you've done something that they will remember for the rest of their life. Absolutely. You know, these aren't war stories. These are peace stories. Oh, yes, indeed. Indeed. (laughs) I love what you're working. I would like to ask you, as we're winding up here, if you could give some advice to parents 
whose kids may be just entering what we call middle school, so maybe 10, 11, 12 years old, they start to feel a shift as we all do when our kids start gravitating more towards their friends where their social life becomes more and more important and they want to spend less and less time with the family. What can parents do to make sure that their influence stays strong and true with their children as they naturally grow away from them? Mm. Good question. Yes, indeed. Okay. That's, a, that's, that's the one that's shaking me by the shoulders. Okay. I think there's two things here. I think by the time a child gets to 10 to 12, as a parent, we can't try to do something totally new because there's certain behaviors, there's certain habits, and there's certain things or boundaries that should have been established by that time that will be a lot harder to try and establish when they're making that move. So, for example, one of the things I have with my eldest, I know she continually pushes the boundaries, more so with me than her mother. Mm. Her mother just gives her the look, and that's enough. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I have to go with the deep Barry White voice before I get as much authority. But one of the things I've realized is that she has always been very, very open with me. And I've said to her, look, there are times I will get angry. There are times where I will be disappointed. But the one thing that I think is most important is I will always be honest with you and I want you to be honest with me. And going into school, like say for example, there's this challenge now. She goes to a school where all the girls, they'll get out of the car and the skirt will be at knee length height. And by the time they've gone down the corridor, it's rolled up a couple of, you know... Um, <laughs> Feet. <laughs> exactly. So sometimes she'll get into the car and I'll have this conversation. I, How did your day roll out today? And she's like, <laughs> And she'll say, she'll say, and then she'll kind of like know where I'm going. She'll go, Dad, Dad, you, how do you know these things? I'm going, look, we tried those things when we were younger. I suppose the point I'm getting to here is that there's a sense of openness. And children will go and they will make mistakes and things will be hidden from us. But I think if there's a constant dialogue and a constant reminder to the young person that I trust you, I want you to know that I trust you. Yes, you will make mistakes, but I trust you. And I want you to recognize that that trust is something of value. There will be the negative influence. I, you know, I have my daughter continually asking me if she can be on Facebook. It's a shutdown conversation at the moment. But I won't just shut that door. I will open other doors and allow her to do other things instead, which I think are more safe. Mm -hmm. So I think it's about having that open conversation and continuous dialogue. We've been doing this for a number of years now. And sometimes when I get one-on-one -on -one with parents, I always really advise this thing. We have this thing which we call checking in. Mm -hmm. And so my wife and I and our two daughters, what we will do, maybe not every day of the week, but definitely on the weekends, we'll sit down together as a family, and maybe 15 minutes, and we say, right, I want, we, we're all going to check in, and we're going to be as open as honest as possible. You know, where has daddy ticked you off, or what is it you've done this week, or where are you, how are you feeling? And we are just open, and we just say it as it is. Mm -hmm. And there's no judgment on that whatsoever. And it's amazing, because I want my daughter to know that if she's angry with me, she should be safe to be able to say, Daddy, I'm angry with you, and this is how I felt, mm -hmm. and this is how I had to go through, and be safe enough to say that to me, knowing that I'm not going to go off the rails, right. and vice versa, I can say that to them and be quite honest. And it's such a powerful tool to keep connected with them, because I know they'll go off and do whatever they have to do, right. but it's so powerful because it keeps that openness. It keeps that openness, and it keeps your values inside their heads so that when you're not around and they're making choices, they can still be affected by your influence. They've internalized it. Definitely, definitely, yes. Sounds like you and your wife are doing a great job. I bet your kids are wonderful. 
they are, we are seriously blessed. You know, even as parents, I think we're always beating up ourselves thinking, oh my God, am I doing a good enough job? And I think one of the beauties is if when you hear your child say to another child about you as a parent and they're giving you kudos mm-hmm. or they're talking well of you or to a teacher, that's beautiful and that's affirming that to, you know, to remind you that sometimes we may beat ourselves around the head as to what is right or wrong, but they're quite appreciative of what's actually happening. Well, that's because you show them that you appreciate and respect them, and it is always a two-way street. Definitely, definitely. Okay, before we sign off here, Dave, I'd love for you to give our listeners a place on the web where they can find out more about your work. If they went to www.thedavemackproject.com, and they will see some of my rather quirky videos and some of the work that I do in schools and colleges. That's where I keep the majority of the stuff that we do for the work we do with our young people and those who support empowering young people. It's been a pleasure talking to you and thank you so much for the excellent work you do. You are planting seeds and they're growing and a whole new generation of kids is being influenced positively by you. Thank you so much for allowing me the privilege of being, it's so nice, you know, just seeing people online and then being able to have that connection and being able to talk. I just think it's so nice being able to do that and and seeing another person who has as much passion as we do to be able to empower young people. So thank you. It's really great. Twitter rocks, right? (laughs) It does indeed. This is Annie Fox for Family Confidential. To learn more about my work with tweens, teens, and parents, visit AnnieFox.com. And tune in next time when my guest will be Ronit Barras, widely recognized as the parenting guru and happiness coach. Ronit is also author of Be Special, Be Yourself for Teenagers. Till then, happy parenting! Happy parenting!